Welcome to Spin It, a business podcast that takes you into the lives of some of today's most influential leaders, entrepreneurs, game changers, athletes, and many more. On Spin It, we take a deep dive into the lives and journeys of our guests to deliver real, unfiltered, and unscripted conversations that will surely inspire hope and promote change. We focus not on their current success, but on the obstacles and challenges that they faced along the way that often doesn't get talked about. How they battled adversity getting up and being knocked down when all of the odds were stacked against them. Today I'm speaking with Jason Pfeiffer. Jason is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, keynote speaker, and hosts the podcast Build for Tomorrow. Jason is hysterically funny, and we touch on so many topics. Jason walks us through his beginning as a local reporter in Massachusetts to achieving massive success as editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. We discuss how Jason learned to navigate the world of media and eventually run it. This was such an amazing conversation. I loved hearing about how he overcame obstacles on his journey to become so successful. Enjoy the show. Jason, hello, good morning, and thank you so, so much for being on the show. I've been waiting for this interview for a very long time, and I am so excited to have you with us. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. So I want to just jump right in. Yeah. Talk to me about what it was like being a reporter in Gardner, Mass, mm-hmm. and what the heck were you writing about? <laughs> what was I writing about? I was writing about zoning board of appeals meetings. Never go to a zoning board of appeals meeting. Just like skip it. It's brutal. And I was writing about middle school plays and I wrote a whole series about diners. I was writing about, you know, I mean, I, I, the line that I use now is sort of joke is like, I was writing about nothing, but uh, that does discount that that kind of stuff is useful for a small community. And I was trying to be a good small community newspaper reporter and I didn't like it. You know, I hated it. And I was only in retrospect, look back at that moment, right? That was for context for folks who don't have my career memorized. That was the very first job that I had at a college was at this tiny little paper, 6,000 circulation newspaper in North central Massachusetts called the Gardner news. And I was in Gardner for a couple of years and I felt too good for the job. And later, and I don't know when, but at some point I realized, you know what? If I was too good for that job, then I wouldn't have had the job. I wasn't too good for the job, right? I needed to learn things at that job. And I did learn things at that job, even as I was walking around being like, I'm too good for this job. But I didn't know what I was doing. I was fresh out of college and I was just learning. And I think it was really valuable for me to have gone through that experience. And I, you know, for people who are stuck in their own this isn't where I want to be, or this is smaller than my ambitions and whatever, you know, I would say, keep moving and get out of there when you can. But also be mindful of if you were there and not somewhere else, it very well could be because you haven't learned what you need for the next step yet. And that learning opportunity might be right in front of you. So now looking back, and we'll talk about your amazing, amazing career. Oh, please. Yes. You're like, stop, go on, stop, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Looking back on that and thinking about where your career is now, what's the lesson that you took away from that actual position? From that moment? Uh, So there are a couple of lessons that I took. I mean, number one, well, so it's like, there's like tiers of lessons, right? Some of them are are very, very practical things that I just do my day-to-day job, how to develop story ideas, how to move really fast. I mean, I had to write two stories a day at that newspaper, which sounds crazy until you talk to 
kids today who have to write like five blog posts or something a day at Vulture or something. I don't know. And so maybe two stories a day isn't that hard. But I had to actually go out and report them, right? This was not sitting on the internet and gathering information, just regurgitating it. It was like running down to the mayor's office. Mayor, what's going on? Sure, I'll have some jelly beans. He always had a bowl of jelly beans. And anyway, so I learned a lot, uh, practically speaking. But I also learned to humble myself. And I most importantly learned that nobody who I aspired to impress and eventually work with, none of those people were going to read the Gardner News, which is to say the people at the New York Times, the people at the Washington Post, wherever it was that I aspired to work at back then, absolutely none of them were reading this little newspaper and were reading the story that I did about the local diner and are like, kid, come on up. It's your time, right? Loved that story. You're coming up to the big leagues. Nobody was going to do that ever. And so I needed to go do it myself. I needed to leave that job. I needed to get in front of those people. I needed to do whatever it took to not just prove that I could work at that level, because frankly, I couldn't, but start to learn what it took to be at that level and to accelerate that process as fast as possible. So I quit the job after about a year and a half. And I sat in my bedroom for nine months in this place next to a graveyard to hold in Massachusetts, tiny town. And I cold pitched and I cold pitched and I cold pitched editors who basically ignored me until I started to get a few hits, the Washington Post, the Boston Globe. And that started to build the very beginnings of the career that I have now. So talk to me about that for a second, Jason. So was there any common thread? Was there any commonality to, you said, now I started getting some hits from the bigger periodicals. Was there something that they were actually latching onto? What were you doing that made them kind of reach out and say, yeah, Jason, come in? Oh, well, so nobody's reaching out. Let's be clear. Nobody's reaching out. So in (laughs) my- I'm not that great. In my business, yeah. I mean, at the beginning, no. At the time, what I'm talking about is that I would come up with a story idea. This is how freelance journalism works. I would come up with a story idea. I would track down some editor who I've never been in contact with before. I would email them a pitch, a couple paragraphs. Here's the story. Here's why I can write it. Uh, Here's why it's good for your publication. And then I would wait anxiously as they would generally ignore me. And then I would do that over and over and over and over again. So what is the thing that turned? Like why? How did progress happen? Well, look, eventually, if you bang on enough doors, somebody's going to like crack the door open and be like, uh, who are you? And then you got to, you're on, right? You're, you better swing and hit. And in this particular case, what happened was that I pitched an idea to the Washington Post health section. It was, of all things, about distance sex therapy. This was, I think, 17 years ago. And at the time, this was like a wild idea that people would have therapy of any kind, let alone sex therapy, without actually physically being in a room with somebody. But it was starting to happen. These couple sex therapists were starting to offer sex therapy like through the phone, really, because video streaming just didn't exist. People didn't have smartphones. And this was a crazy idea. And so I pitched this story to the health section And this wonderful editor named Susan replied and wanted to talk about it on the phone. And I wasn't ready for that at all. And so we take this call and I am pacing, Stephanie, like pacing. I am just, I'm nervous. My mouth is dry. She's asking me questions about the story, about, you know, details of the, you know, what I found and reported and what what would people say about this and what's the problem with this. And, And at the end, she said, and why am I the person to write it? And at the end, she said, well, look. I'm not ready to say yes to this, but I'm not ready to say no. So if you want to do more work, I will take a look at it. And I said, you got it. 
And then we hop the phone and then I just, I threw everything into this. I, I ended, I, I just, I called everybody. I, I interviewed a bazillion people and I put together this 3000 word outline of like every possible point that could be made and source. And here are like five people who have had distance sex therapy and, and whatever, everything. I mean, 3000, this is longer than the story itself right. would actually run. And, and I sent it to her and she replied and she said, okay, you got it. And then I wrote that story and then it was published in the Washington Post, which was mind blowing for me at like 22 or something. And, you know, things get a little easier after that. It's not, they don't get like immediately easier, right? It's not like you get one story in the Washington Post and suddenly everybody rolls out the red carpet, but it just becomes easier. Now I can run, now I can reach out and be like, the first thing I say is, hi, I'm Jason Pfeiffer. I'm a reporter who's written for the Washington Post and whatever. And here's the link to that story. And people just start to take you more seriously, but you still have to hustle and hustle and hustle and basically never, ever, ever think that someone's just going to hand you something because they never will. Okay, so with that, I want to take a step back for the listeners. Whenever you, because I'm trying to, I want to tie this up at the end whenever we talk about your amazing skill set that you have, Jason. And I also want to talk about some of the tips that you've given people along the way Mm -hmm. that I've I've picked up on. But I want to talk about this. So when you pitch a story, do you actually write the story? Do you outline the story? Like tell our listeners, how do you pitch a story and how much time does that take to do? So I should be clear that this is specific to a freelance journalist pitching a story to an editor, right? Because usually when we're in business and we're talking about pitching a story, it's like people in a PR capacity of some sort, either hiring PR or pitching themselves, like hoping to be written about, which we could talk about as well. But this specifically is freelance journalism. So uh, no, you don't write the full story. Because you want guidance from an editor about exactly what to do. And, you know, you, oftentimes if an editor is just handed a full story, they'll be like, did you write this for somebody else? And they rejected it, right? Like there's just something kind of weird about it. So no, instead what you do is you go and you ideally you report out some portion of the story, right? Enough so that you know it's real. You have a sense of the characters, like who who would be talking in this. And then importantly, and this is something that freelance journalists miss all the time when they pitch me, answer the questions that the editor is going to ask. So for example, people, I will get pitches from reporters and it'll be like, this company made this pivot. And I think it would be really interesting to ask the question about how this pivot happened and what the challenges were. And right, and my question is, what are the answers to those questions? What were the challenges and what can people learn from them? You don't know the answers to those questions. Why those are the reasons why I would run this story, right? It's that not, is I, why it's interesting. Yeah, that. I'm not interested in hypotheticals. <laughs> I'm not, I, like, I'm not going to bite on a, well, let's find out because, because maybe the answer is boring. Right. For Maybe sure. the answer is like, oh, why did the, the, the pivot was very easy and they learned nothing. Why would I publish that? That's not useful. So you've got to answer the questions that the editor is going to ask. And it, that means understanding. And this is true for any kind of reaching out about anything. Right. You have to understand what the needs are of the people who you're reaching out to. In a publications case, the needs are that they are serving their audience in a particular way. And you better understand that. So if I'm writing for The Washington Post health section. A health editor is going to want to understand, well, what's the implications of this? And what, how, what's the, what are the industry standards? And, and is this going to shift the industry? And, you know, whatever, healthy questions. And if I don't have answers to those questions, well, then she doesn't have any idea whether this is going to be a valuable story. You can't just tell me a fact. Right. Don't tell me a fact 
tell me a story. Stories and facts are different. Topics and facts are, I mean, topics and stories are different. A story is a complete set of information and you have to at least give me an understanding of what that's going to be before I say yes. That's, I love that information for our listeners because I know that people are always trying, we'll go back, go into how many pitches you get per week. I'm telling you, Jason, when I see your responses, sometimes I literally just laugh out loud whenever you blank out who it is and what they say. And then you just leave a certain part. I'm literally crying. Going yeah. Oh, thanks. Man. You're referencing for, for again, people who aren't following me daily, uh, although yes. uh, you should, I routinely take things from my inbox where people just really whiffed it and block out their names because this isn't about shaming. This is about showing what people are doing right and wrong right. when they are trying to pitch themselves. And this is and the reason I do it is because is not just because like of pitching media. I just happen to this is just the seat that I happen to occupy, but because I think that pitching media is in many ways similar to pitching anything else, pitching a partner, pitching a client, pitching whatever. It's all about understanding what your value is to the thing that you're reaching out to. And people very often don't think through that. Absolutely. Jason, your article, Go Where You Don't Belong, mm -hmm. is so incredibly good. I don't want to mess this up. So in it, you quote Chris Bosch saying, yeah. we don't work to be average. We don't. Tell me what the purpose is behind your work. Oh, that is not where I expected that to go. I'll just offer like a little bit of context to that Please. to that quote. So Chris Bosch is an NBA, well, now you can say an NBA Hall of Famer. He was just recently inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I met him at a dinner. I was invited to a dinner when I was a kid at Men's Health. It was my first national magazine job. And um, it was really my boss who was invited and not me. And my boss wasn't interested. And I was, I am a huge Miami Heat fan. Chris was at the time leaving the Toronto Raptors to go to the Miami Heat. And so I, I wanted to go to dinner with him. It would have been amazing. And so I basically just inserted myself by, you know, like the publicist reached out for my boss and I was like, my boss can't make it, but I can, I'll see you. And then she had to say yes, even though she very clearly didn't want me there. And so Chris was just lovely as could be. And there were a couple other like big poobahs there, big TV producer and whatever. And it was a fine dinner. Everyone was really nice. I was completely out of my element. I tried to participate where I could, but I, I often couldn't. And that was that, right? And then we left and I felt good about Chris Bosch and had cheered him on through his career. And uh, and then we, we recently reconnected at very different times in our life. Chris... Um, Chris's NBA career was was cut short, very sadly, because he developed blood clots that wouldn't go away. And so oh, playing wow. the game uh, threatened his life. And so he had to retire. And I went from being this kid who didn't really belong at that table to the editor-in-chief of National Magazine. And I can now sit at those kinds of tables and feel comfortable. And anyway, so I told Chris this when we reconnected recently to talk, because he had a book that came out. And he remembered the dinner. He didn't remember me, which I wouldn't have expected him to. And he said, said, wow, like, you know, congratulations on like, you know, going from the kid to the to the big boss. And then he said what you said, we don't work to be average. And uh, that's exactly right. We don't work to be average. Why would you show up anywhere just to be average? There would be no point to it. And so I love that about Chris. And I loved that moment that I was able to have. And those kinds of moments are just so validating, right? It's like, whenever you have a moment where you feel out of place, just think to yourself, you know, at some point, I can circle back to this and be in place. Like this doesn't have to be the defining moment. So anyway, that is a big lead up to your actual question, which was how do I, what, like what defines my work? You know, it has evolved. I spent a long, I spent the majority of my career trying to just be good at the things that I was doing and knowing that 
a thing that I wanted to do was to eventually stop speaking in someone else's voice and start speaking in my own. And the couple times that I would try to do that, it would be okay, but I would find that I just didn't, I didn't have a thing to say. And it's okay. You don't always have to have a thing to say, but I didn't have a thing to say. I struggled with that. And so I worked at many magazines, writing stories for those magazines. And it wasn't really until a combination of being an entrepreneur, figuring out that I had something to offer entrepreneurs, absorbing what they were sharing with me. And then also starting this podcast called Build for Tomorrow, where I explore the history of change, why people resist change, why innovations are scary to people, that I, I, I suddenly realized that I do have something to say. And that thing that I have to say is that what I have observed and learned is that adaptiveness is the most important quality anybody can have in success and business. But also like, just imagine if we as people and cultures were more adaptive. We would have waste less energy freaking out about things, right? Like that we, you know, we wouldn't, so many of our, so much of our politics, I think is driven by uh, just an inability to be adaptive. And so that suddenly gave me the valuable, I found myself at the intersection that I always wanted to be at, which is the intersection of what I'm interested in and what I'm good at, which is a really important intersection to find for yourself. What are you interested in and what are you good at? And for a while I was living on, what am I good at? I'm good at magazine writing. I'm good at editing. You can put me in any magazine. I'll do a good job. I wasn't that interested in the magazines that I was I was at. Right? I, I worked at Men's Health for a couple of years. I wasn't interested in Men's Health. I did a good job, I think. Yeah. And now I found it. I, I'm at the intersection of what I'm interested in and what I'm good at, which is which is telling these stories, understanding this subject, helping people through it in every possible medium: podcast, magazine, speaking, TV whatever the hell. And so now I'm, I wake up every morning feeling like X marks the spot, but I, I got to keep digging. Like there's just more yeah. to find. So one of the things that, so my, I, I have 14 questions in my head. They just all went yeah, like this. I know. I know. It's um, awful. I don't even know where I am. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. I've lost my place. So I, I have a question. I want to, I want to go back to something that you said and, and purely for me, for personal reasons. Do yeah. you think that you didn't have something to say, Jason, or do you think that you didn't know how to say it or you didn't know if it was relevant? So I think that it changes throughout my career. Evolves. You know, when I look back at my time at the Gardner News, you know, and I was writing these stories about the local diner or whatever. You know what else I was doing? I was writing a political column. So if I ever decide to run for president, which I which I, I will not, but if I ever decide to run, run for president, the way that you can sync me is to go back to the archives of the Gardner News, which are not online, so you got to go in person and read those political columns because they were probably awful, right? I just, very unformed political opinions. And I thought, well, I, this is what I have to say, right? But it's not, I didn't have anything to say. I had no unique thoughts. I had no deep understanding. Standing. I had no life experience to draw from. Why, don't give a 22-year-old a political column. It's a stupid idea. So, and then, I, you know, like flash forward many years later, I, I created these, I don't know if you know about this, but I created these, these tumblers. This is 2013. I created these tumblers that went, do you even know what that went? Like ultra viral. Yeah. So back in, back in 2013, Tumblr, which is, still exists, but at the time it was like a hot thing. People were creating these single topic tumblers. It was sort of like a website that just offered images or a recurring expression of like one thing or like a classic one was a Tumblr called 
women crying while eating salad. And it was just a collection of like stock photography of women crying while eating salad. And uh, anyway, I made a number of them, the biggest uh, of which was called selfies at funerals. And um, it was just a collection (laughs) of selfies at funerals that kids had posted on social media that I found. And the like the entire global internet exploded when I made this, right? It just it was written about everywhere. You know, like Business Insider, now it's called Insider, but back then it was Business Insider, found it before I had even shared it with anybody. And it was just, it was off to the races. I was getting calls from like Australian broadcasting and and Swedish radio and whatever, like the Guardian asked me to write about it. It was nuts. It went on for a long time. And, you know, there's a moment where where people kept asking me, like friends and whatever, would keep asking me, like, are you going to capitalize on this? Like, do you want to do the selfie book and then become the selfie guy and like talk about selfies and teen culture or whatever? And, you know, I thought about it hard because there was 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 something attractive to owning a a space. Mm. And that gave me that position, right? Like I had reporters calling me regularly, like the New York Times would call me for a quote about selfies for a story about stuff. But I didn't care, right? I didn't, I had something to say, but I didn't really care that much about what I was saying. And I just couldn't imagine that this is the thing that I wanted to do. And and I there are people who make a different decision. And I think that that's fine. Like, you know, I, I watch very little television and I watch zero cable news, but I, but on the occasions where I have turned on cable news and I've seen somebody talking, I've always thought to myself, you know, I have a feeling that you don't care about this at all, but you just figured out a way to get on television and you're just going to say whatever the hell it is that will get you on television. And that to me is a sad life. I'm not interested in that. And so anyway, you know, the answer is like, I just didn't know. I didn't have something that I cared deeply about. I was, I enjoyed communicating. I felt I was good at it, but I didn't have a message that felt unique to me that I was sharing that I was able to offer something to the world that nobody else could in the way that I did. And you know what? I'm now 41 and I think I figured this out a couple of years ago. And I think that that's great. You don't have to have it immediately. Exactly. Just build right. the skills, just build the skills and it'll come later. Have you ever been on TV? I've been on TV many times. Yeah. How do you feel about it? TV is a weird thing. TV is a weird thing. <laughs> okay, good. I mean, you may, you may be, yeah. I mean, you may be teeing up before we started recording. I told you that I just, I regretted something from TV this morning and that I'll tell you about it live. So maybe that's what you're teeing up, but I'll tell, tell you before we it. get, before we get into it, like more broadly speaking, TV is a funny thing because you quickly discover that you don't actually need to know that much about what you're talking about to be on TV. You just have to say it really confidently, like just the more confidence, the better. And nobody there's just no time for a deep dive on TV. And so you can go in with very little information, basically sound okay, uh, which is just a funny thing. And I also am now involved in a lot of like TV development conversations. Uh, You know, I'm a executive producer on a couple shows that may or may not ever make it to air because that's how TV works. And, and, uh, and, you know, I'm having all these calls with producers about other ideas. And, you know, what I found is that everybody basically, everything that I was told happened, which is that I go, you go into a room, or a virtual room, and everyone's like, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I'm so excited about this. And then, you know, you tell it, and they're like, this is amazing. And then, you know, like nothing happens, right? And uh, and that's basically television. So it's it's a funny place. But you want to hear about the thing that I regret from this I morning? I do. I want to hear yeah. about this morning. Talk to me. Yeah, okay. So I I have a a semi-regular appearance on, um, on this thing called PIX11, P-I-X-11. It is a New York cable news stations basically it's a regional cable news station and uh, and I do this money segment with them on Wednesdays not every Wednesday but you know 
enough Wednesdays. And the Marisol is the host uh, who always interviews me, and I love it. It's it's fun. She's fun. We have great you know rapport, and it's just a great time. And so anyway, I went on to talk about inflation. And what Marisol does, which is wonderful, is that she will move you through the talking points. So like when you're watching one of those TV segments, what what has happened is that they ask you, they're like, this is Pix 11 at least. I guess everyone could be a little bit different, but you know, a producer will ask me for the, she'll be like, let's do, let's do a segment on, on inflation. And I say, great. And then I'll send her for like four points, right? Like, so we'll talk about this, 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 this. And then she turns it into like a script and then she sends it to me and everybody else. And then you basically kind of perform that script, not word for word, but you know, you know what's coming. And, but Marisol also will make things, things fun, right? She'll like take little side tangents and it's great. And, and, and I just, she just does a really good job and it's great. And so anyway, oh, uh, we, we have, this is interesting. I just checked my DMs and I have a DM from her so we could even have a live update of this story. Oh, great. So, okay. So here's <laughs> the point of this. this is a whole long lead up i'm sorry and the payoff is not going to be that interesting but i what i aspire to do is to like be as good and fun as the segment can be right like i want to bring more than just the information i want to like i want to be great and fun and have everybody who ever has me into whatever they've invited me into say that was perfect. Like that guy brought everything. It was so fun. And right. So like with these segments, because she likes to have a lot of fun, I'll, I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll say something goofy or I'll bring in some story or I'll have like previously I, I like, I drank from this mug that says might be whiskey. Cause it was related to what we were talking about. It was funny. And so anyway, before we went on air this morning, Marisol always pops in on, on zoom and just, you know, say hi. And I had missed, there was like a, a red towel on my couch and, and she was like, what is, what's, what's, what's going on back there? And I, and I looked back and I was like, oh, let me get that off the couch because it looks bad on, on camera. And then I told her what the, the reason this towel is on the couch. And the reason the towel is on the couch is because my son had sat on the couch for a while with poop in his pants and it made the couch smell like poop. And so we have, we have a towel on top of it until we can get a, a couch cleaner to come who's happening, who's coming later today. And so she laughed and I was like, I will tell that story on air. Like I'm, right. I'm not afraid. And, uh, and she was like, she, you know, and she was like, I love that you keep it real. And so, uh, anyway, we did the segment and it was fun. And then at the very end, she was like, well, Jason, you know, always great to see you and your messy couch, which was a tee up for me to do the thing. And I, and, and I didn't do it. What I did instead was I like pulled the, the towel up that was right next to me. And I was like, I was like, I know I had this on the couch just before we went live and you told me it was there and I took it off. So, you know, all thanks to you that I like look good here. And, uh, and that was it. I like completely whiffed. Why did I whiff afterwards? I was thinking about it and I was like, why did I whiff? And the answer I think is because I have no idea what is happening in the TV studio. I don't know if they need to go to commercial break. I don't know how much time they have. I don't know how long this segment went. I don't know if she needs me to get off air like now. And so every time that we are at the end of a segment, I'm always really, I go really fast. Like yes. I, I don't bite on anything. I, I basically, I try to keep my responses to like three seconds. I didn't know how long the poop story would take. And I think that that's what I, why I did it. And this I like to, and so I regret this. Why do I regret this? I regret this because I feel like I didn't deliver everything that I could. And this, and this woman who is so good at her job teed me up in the perfect way and I completely missed it, right? And that just annoys me. No viewer will know it. I didn't mess anything up. Nobody's going to cancel me. I just feel like I didn't deliver as I should have. And so afterwards, I did this thing, which I always try to do whenever I regret something, which is I try to step back and be like, what? 
piece of information can I learn from this that will better me the next time? And so I DM'd Marisol, who has just responded. I'm going to do it live. I haven't seen this yet. And I was like, I totally whiffed on that and you teed it up, but this brings up a good question, which I didn't know the answer to. How much time do you have when we're rapping? Right? Like, do I need to right. stop talking? So here she replied. She said, uh, you are always on point. Oh, so nice. Do nothing different. It's our control room. <laughs> control needs to get their act together. In general, the last answer should be succinct-ish, but I err on the side of organic responses and making everyone else adjust to us. That is great. That is great advice. That is great advice. I'm so glad I asked that. I would have never asked that. And the only reason I did is because I regretted this and I didn't want to leave it as a useless uh, experience. I wanted to turn it into a learning experience. And so there it is. So that perfectly, since we're talking about TEPs, tees me into you've talked so much through all of your content about authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, and you are such a valuable leader. And, and Jason, I want to talk about this for a second. Kind of very quickly, um, I started my career in Silicon Valley, and I grew up through management consulting. I grew up holding very different vice presidencies and directorships, was a part of 11 global startups, took six of them public, and then was on the deal team for the other four lead deal teams, mergers and acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And I was yeah. young, like you, I was young, and I had imposter syndrome for 47,000 years yeah. um, I, for a very long time, all through having babies and you know, usually being the only female in the room. One of the things that, and, and, and I'm not a social media buff and I don't watch any TV. Yeah. I was scrolling one day and I don't scroll and I saw some of your content and I started looking at it. And let me tell you the three things for me, okay, as yeah. a leader, as somebody who is a global leader, who has a global company, who has a global firm and who speaks a lot of times globally, okay? Mm -hmm. Your stuff is so real. You're not Thank apologetic. You. No. You are, I got this, this was crap do better. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got this. This was amazing. You know, this was really what I love to see. This is where I jump in and help. I'm never going to work harder than you do. Okay. And doing all this while having two young children, constantly, constantly complimenting your, your spouse and saying what a stronghold she is for you. And just being very, very unapologetic of this is how you lead. It doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. It means exactly what you just did. I think I may have blown it. I want to check in and see how I can make it better. I know no one else will know, but I know. And so you do this in every bit of content. And now that I've gotten more familiar with your content, I can even see it when you're not, it's not so in your face. It's not, you know, a writing on a card or it's not yeah. a podcast or it's not an Instagram reel or whatever it is. It is so amazing to have somebody like you, Jason, that these younger influencers or these younger journalists um, that are coming up, they really aspire to be something in a part of your career. I want to talk about vulnerability and transparency. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, is this something that was innate for you? Was this developed? Did this happen through many mistakes? Talk to me about how you got this evolved. Oh, well, so first of all, thanks for all of that. That was, that was really lovely. And I'm glad that my stuff lands that way. So I... I mean, I have never been a polished person. If you look back at photos of me from previous jobs, I look insane. Right? Like I have like a giant scraggly beard and, and just like a giant Jufro of hair. And so there's something about me that is always, I've always wanted to be casual. I've always wanted to be like the guy in shorts at the event where everyone's in suits. And uh, and I have been the guy in shorts at the event where everyone's in suits. And, and, and occasionally I feel like a 
dick for doing it. I remember one time I showed up in an event in shorts and everyone's in suits. And then somebody introduced me to David Stern at the time, the NBA commissioner. And I'm standing there talking to him. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, he must think I'm an asshole. Because uh, I'm, but anyway, so that's what, but to actually, at some point, what I realized, and I can't remember exactly when this was, there wasn't some specific learning lesson, but at some point, what I realized was that sharing vulnerability is an asset. It actually, it's pretty easy to do once you don't think of it as a risk, uh, which I don't, exactly. right? It's not a risk. It Maybe it feels like that at the beginning. There was, there was a time I was talking to some event full of college students and somebody had asked me about like a time I... I failed or something. And I talked about this time that I, I got fired from a magazine and how while I was getting fired, I just kept thinking, this guy is really good at firing. Like it was like, this is a good, he's really good at this. And I should absorb this for whenever I, whenever I have to fire someone. And afterwards she came up to me and she said, this uh, I don't know if I've identified she, one of the college students came up to me and she said, thank you for being so vulnerable. And I said, well, first of all, you're welcome, but it's not a risk that I'm taking. Like uh, I did that and I am vulnerable precisely because I know that you're going to like it and maybe even come up and thank me for it. And because I know that, it doesn't feel scary at all. It feels obvious. And I guarantee, I say to this girl, I was like, I guarantee that if you start doing that, that other people will thank you for doing it. It's like, we think that we have to hide things, yeah. but it turns out that we're hiding like the best stuff. The and so, stuff. yeah, the messy stuff. People right. love the messy stuff. So when I when I started more seriously thinking about how to build my public persona, so to speak, I started with a couple of words, which I think is just a good exercise for brands in general to do, right? Like what are the words that define you that you want people to think about? And, uh, and, and because then once you've established that, you can kind of filter everything through it. They, so they yours, can be were, your yours were Jufro. Jufro. And, and shorts. Right. And, and, and stories about my kid pooping on couches. Those, exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. Those, okay. That's where yeah. we start. Okay. Good. Right. I'm glad so we have that baseline. Yeah. Yeah. So that everything <laughs> orients around that. So no, one of my words is approachability and accessibility, right? Which is to say, I never want to seem like the cool guy you can't reach. I always want to be the guy you what can What if I reach. feel like that? What, what that I'm the cool, like guy? the cool guy that I couldn't reach for like 32 times? Uh, well, I guess then I failed, huh? Um, Epic. I guess, Epic I, I, guess I failed. But had you DM'd me, maybe maybe you have, I, you would have seen that I would, resp or I would respond. Because I respond, respond to everybody. to everything. I think I, that you're extremely yeah. approachable. That's amazing. And that's yeah. a great word too. I, I respond to everybody. And that's, that's, that's strategic. Because if you respond to people... They're fans for life, right? Like right. it's so interesting. It's so interesting. Somebody will DM me something because they read something of mine, and then I will respond, and then they will follow me. Like that's the that's the important order in which things happen in the world, right? right. You can put things out into the world, but just on the quality of that alone, people will not follow you to the end of the earth. They will not love you. They'll just love that one thing that they liked of you. But if that thing drives them to make some kind of contact with you, and then that is a satisfying experience that they feel like they got a connection to you, now you've got them. Now you have built your tribe. Like, and not somebody who's just going to be interested in that one thing that you did, but who's going to be interested in everything that you did. 
that's powerful. And so, you know, that's why I do it. Also, because frankly, I just, it's just easier to talk about whatever the hell happens to be on your mind and to not hide things, right? Like you and I are talking like like two hours after that PIX11 thing where I regret not talking about my son pooping on the couch, which I know sounds ridiculous, but, but like, it feels good to now have the record out there on your show about, you know, I did want to talk about that poop thing. So that all says to me, just do it. Just say it. People will like you for it. So your poop thing, I have a yeah. puke thing. When COVID was starting and I was brand new at doing this online Zoom thing, um, uh-huh. I, had, I hadn't ever coached or consulted online. These are really huge deals. These deals matter. I mean, yeah. these, these deals are like, do we get the next round of funding? Who do we hire? You know, except these are huge deals. And so I was feeling super nervous. Every kid was home in every different age group. And my little one was home and we have this thing on the door. Then you don't go in and you don't talk. And Forbes had me on as a panelist. And mm-hmm. there was 56 people on and I had literally, I was sweating. My mouth yeah. was dry. I was a total mess. I didn't know what they were going to ask. There was no questions that were like, you know, sent over. Right. And I was so nervous, but I, I was doing well and I was nailing it. And then literally they're like, Stephanie, what do you think about this? And all of a sudden my door goes flying open and my son comes in and he's got a towel like, like Batman. Okay. Yeah. And he goes, mom, mom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. And he just goes, Oh my gosh. And I remember I was like, I looked at him and I turned around and every single person was like, (laughs) and I said, would you, would you just excuse me for what? Nobody spoke. Nobody spoke. Everybody's like, you know, like this. uh And so I, I said, would you just excuse me for one second? I turn around, I take off my shirt because it's everywhere. Okay. I roll my shirt up. I take it off. I hug him. I put him in the side, I call his dad who's outside. And I said, mom will be five minutes and I'll be right back. And he was like, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I got back. I don't think that they actually spoke. I don't think anybody yeah. actually spoke. I came back, I turned the camera back on and I said, listen, here's the thing. I'm totally fine with you using that. I really am. Or if you'd like to re-record, or if you'd like to cut that part and have me on another time, that's fine. All of it is very real. And I'm extremely, extremely real. I'm the first one to raise my hand when I've messed up. Yeah, but I, you know, go ahead and do whatever you want. And they were so stunned. They just started clapping. <laughs> so I was like, does that mean they're going to use it? Does that mean they're I'm not I'm kind of unsure yeah. right now what's going on. And, and so it's real, just like you said, and I felt nervous, and I felt scared. And I felt like what's Forbes going to think of me now? Right. And then it was just out there, Jason. And I just didn't care. It's like, that's my real life. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's an awesome, awesome story. And what I will, I will answer that question. What is Forbes going to think of me now? What Forbes is going to think is that they are going to remember you more than anyone else at that event. Right. And in a positive way, we're like these, it turns out that these kinds of mess ups are amazing opportunities to elevate yourself above everybody else because because you know people don't remember i found people don't remember anything that you say but they do remember how you made them feel which i know is not a uh, i'm not the only person i have ever had that observation but it's true and so when i talk I mean, I, I really believe in what I'm saying, but I am mostly focused on the experience that I'm providing people because I know that that's what they're going to remember. And I know that those kinds of unexpected moments and watching somebody deal with something that's very real is the thing that it, people are going to remember the most yeah. and they're going to love it. And I've not had a child burst in and literally vomit on the floor like you did, although I 
kudos to you for the way that you handled it. But I certainly had kids burst in just to do whatever, to say something, right. to scream, to get in, get in the camera. Right. And I've, you know, that's happened while I've been doing everything in the last year, year and a half, two years, like uh, paid events where somebody, where somebody paid me a lot of money to give a keynote. And, and then I got a kid just bursting in, in the middle of it. And what I always find is that at the very beginning, the very, very, very beginning, I was like, I would try to get them out of the room as fast as possible. Yeah. But then I realized that how I handle that moment is actually the thing that is going to define the experience. That's for exactly people. right. And if I if I just can like make a fun light moment of it, and maybe even just plop the kid on my couch and or, um, I mean on my lap and just keep going, people that's what people love it. They'll it's love it. Connection. It's, a, it's, it's an connection. asset. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So we're running out of time, and I have so many more questions. So I'm just going to ask you a few more things. Um, okay, Jason, I'll try to keep it short. Like I said, I could do this for for five hours with you. When hiring, are you looking for more hard skills or more soft skills? An absolute mix. I struggle with that every single time. I'm struggling with that right now as I'm hiring somebody. Do you go with the the hard skills or the soft skills? Look, it's a mix. I, I need to know that I can trust somebody. My right. number one quality in, in a person who I hire is I can trust you so that I might be able to go days without talking to you and I just know that you're killing it. So that requires having good hard skills. But you know, you want them to be a valued member of the team and that means soft skills too. What's your biggest mistake that you've made as a leader? Oh, that's a good question. I'm probably not present enough. You know, like I just said, I believe in trust and I believe in letting people do their thing. But so, but I am so busy that sometimes I don't check in with people nearly as often as I should. And uh, and I will, re I will I'll realize, oh, a, a while has gone and I have not had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody on my team. And, you know, nobody ever complains about that. But also I have to realize that I'm in the position where people don't generally go and complain to me. And so, right, now I had, I had a, a deputy editor who I had worked with for so, so long at multiple magazines. And she knew me well enough and was not afraid of me in any way that she would tell me when a call I made was wrong or she'll tell me like when something was wrong. And I valued that so much. And then she took another job and it was very sad. And I, now I have a new deputy editor who is really wonderful and so talented. And I'm really excited to work, work with her. But of course, you know, she hasn't known me. Well, she has known me a while, but I don't know. She isn't at the point yet where she's going to be like, Jason, that was not the right move. But I want her to get there because I, having that on the team is so valuable. Whenever you hire people and they, bet, and they mess up and you have to fire them, do you fire them as well as the guy who fired you? Oh, <laughs> when I, when you, when you heard the question as well as I thought it, I, I, it was, I was reading it like, um, uh, 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 plus, right. Do you fire them? Plus go track down the guy who fired you and fire him no. too. And I was like that, how did that You're work? Like, Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> we're waiting. Back. Um, do I do it? Uh, no, I mean, I don't think so because he was older than me and he had more experience than me and he had more experience firing people than me. But I will tell you that I try to have the DNA of what he did, which was to be very direct, to be very not mean about it, mm -hmm. human yeah. about it, helpful where possible, but also not leaving anything up to misunderstanding. How do you be a standout in journalism right now? Journalism's changed so much since you started. And so those kids that are in my son's a broadcast journalism major at Mizzou for sports, how do you be a standout? What do you do? What are some skills that you can develop when you're in college? Uh, good question. So Here's the thing. I don't know that I, this is the a full answer to your question, but I will take one swing at it. 
right now in print, right, which I know better than broadcast, and I don't mean print in terms of like physical print magazine, I mean like written, written, yeah. digital content, anything, written words, things that you read. The majority of the jobs, if you're graduating college, the majority of the jobs that are going to be available to you are going to be some version of blogging, right? Which is not a word that people are using as much anymore, but which is to say, you get a job, you are, you're responsible for pumping out content. There's going to be very little original reporting and you have to move fast. And that's the nature of publishing today. There's a lot of very young people who are just pumping things out and that has its pluses and minuses. But what I would caution young journalists to do, no matter what version of that you are in, make sure that on your own, you are creating opportunities either at your job or elsewhere to develop skills beyond that. Because that by itself is not a skill base that's transferable up the chain. And the more that you just do that, the more nobody will give you any other opportunities. Nobody will ever be like, you're so good at aggregating, now write a 3,000 word feature that involves a lot of reporting. Like nobody will do that because they won't think that you can do it, which right. means that the opportunities are not going to just be handed to you. You have to be going out and being very, very aware constantly of what you do not know and then putting yourself in situations where you can learn those skills. And that's not a journalism thing, that's an everything thing. But I'm telling you, you will get pigeonholed if you don't so push out of it. So yeah. quick. So quick. What's your dream job? Uh, I don't know that there is one. I have always operated by figuring out what else there is to do because of the thing that I am doing. Right. And oh, I love that. That's why you know who I am, right? I, I could have just gotten the job as editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine and then just focused on making the magazine. Right? There are a lot of EICs whose names you don't know, and that's because they are through and through magazine editors. And they, they got to the top of a magazine, which is a dream, and they are throwing their all into just that and all the power to them. But that's never how I've thought. I've always thought, what do I have? What opportunities does it provide? right? Like what are the things that I can learn because of this opportunity that nobody's asking me to do? And so that's where I started speaking. And that's where I started making podcasts. And that's where I started experimenting with social. And that's where I started having these TV conversations. And people will ask me occasionally, like, what are you building exactly? And, you know, the answer is like, I don't know, I have like five ideas of what I might be building. But I think the best thing to do is simply just to build. And then you see how the assets come together. And you see what the new opportunities are. I mean, you know, I, I have a book that's coming out next year, next September. And I'm very, very excited for that. And that only came because of all these other things that I did that led to the opportunity to write the book. And to sell it for, frankly, as much money as I did because the editors are looking at it and they're looking like, well, he's got these number of social followers and this amount of reach and this amount of experience and he can go sell the book on the speaking circuit and all that. Like that, like, you know, had I just thought to sell a book five years ago, it would have not been the same experience at all. So I don't know. I just built. And I want to point out because you're extremely, extremely humble. Okay. You're just yeah. overall an amazingly kind person. Oh, um, you, you do answer your DMs. I've had people yeah. reach out. I've had people say, you know, how how good you are at giving those really quick snippets of advice. You know, like, boom, here you go, go. Yeah. Not a bunch of whining, not a bunch of this happened and then this happened and then like, no. Yeah, just not Give me the whining. question, let me answer it. Right. Amazing. 
Jason, we like to end our conversations with uh-huh. a big question. The whole show is on obstacles into opportunities. What's the biggest obstacle that you've been able to turn into an opportunity? Oh, um, you know, I mean, I feel like I'll come up with some answer as I'm vamping here, and <laughs> I don't know that it'll be the actual answer. But there have been a couple times where I've had jobs that I hated and I felt pretty dead ended. And uh, one of them was the Gardner News. Uh, another one was another newspaper job that I had. And actually, frankly, for that matter, another one was was the job that ultimately I got fired from. And what I did in all those cases was that I, each time I stepped back and I thought, how do I not just think about the next job, but think about who I am relative to my jobs differently, right? Like, why am I doing these jobs? And is there a completely different way that I could be doing this work so that I create a better outcome, right? Like, uh, I know what it is to get in line. And and I know what it is if, you know, you, even if you get fired from one job, you just get another one that's similar to it and you're back in line. I know what that is. I'm not really interested in being in the line. The line moves right. too slow. I'm not even sure where the line goes. So why don't we rethink it, right? That, that first job I left, I rethought, you know, I, I sat in my bedroom, I pitched. That second job I quit because Boston Magazine, who I'd been doing some freelancing for, seemed like it had a job opportunity. And I don't, I didn't think they were taking me seriously enough. And I wanted to switch from newspapers to magazines. And so I just quit the job and I moved to Boston, which showed them that I was pretty serious and I got the job. And then the third one, Fast Company, I, well, I just thought a lot about what, like, why did I not like that job? And what skills do I need to do better? And, and I, you know, I, I went from, I transformed from like a guy who just worked at a business magazine to a guy who not just runs a business magazine, but like is understood in the business community very differently. Or like, I'm not a guy who just reports now. I'm a guy who tells. And um, that's different. So uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess over and over again, what I do in big and small ways is I, is I try to look at like, okay, what, what, what's the structural thing that's happening here and why is the structure maybe wrong? That's absolutely fabulous. Jason, this has been so amazing. How do our listeners find you and follow you and all that good stuff? Um, thanks. So the, I appreciate that. This is a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. And now I'm really racing because I have a, a staff meeting that I have to attend. So very quickly. Uh, so on Instagram at Hey Pfeiffer, H-E-Y-F-E-I-F-E-R. My podcast is called Build for Tomorrow. I would love for you to check it out. Build for Tomorrow. I basically, I tackle stories that we tell ourselves that make change sound scary. You're addicted to technology. Your participation trophies harm children. No and no. And for reasons that you can find out on the show, because I do deep dives into history and science. So anyway, bills for tomorrow. Uh, hey, Pfeiffer. Um, and, and, and I have a newsletter, uh, a twice a week newsletter about how to become more adaptable. JasonPfeiffer.Bulletin.com is where you can find that. And we will link all of those. Jason, thank you so much for sharing time today. It's always just, it's amazing and it lights me up so much. Oh, well, thank you. This was really lovely. I appreciate it and I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. Also, head over to YouTube to check out all of the live videos on our new podcast channel, Spin It with Stephanie Malik. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E Malik, M-A-L-I-K or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.